Hey guys, welcome back to this week's episode of the Lion's Bane Podcast. I am alone this week, uh, so no guest. This time we'll have a guest next week. We have one last week, and we'll have one again next week. But thanks so much for your great feedback uh, regarding um, having Nicole as a guest. Again, Nicole is a, a collegiate powerlifter, and I had a great time talking to her about... She's a nursing student, so her view of how medicine and sports kind of interact, and how she basically rationalizes lifting through the USAPL while having no support from the NCAA, anything like that. I really enjoyed the talk with her, so thanks so much for your feedback. I got a lot of really cool DMs and a lot of cool input from you guys. Uh, We got more guests coming up soon. Very excited about that. A buddy of mine, Coach G, will be on in a couple weeks. Private sector strength and conditioning coach up in New York in Brooklyn. And we have next week Coach Erica Suter, who is a former collegiate soccer player, won all kinds of crazy awards, all kinds of cool records, um, but is currently a soccer coach up north in uh, Baltimore area, I believe, Southern Maryland. We have some international guests as well coming up. But lots of cool things. Very excited. Um, so thanks so much for your feedback. And yeah, I was very encouraged. So I feel really positive about the guests that we're going to have coming up. Uh, but this week, like I said, I'm alone today. And I was inspired, actually, and been thinking all week about what Nicole said regarding medicine and sport. Essentially, doctors view sport and strength and conditioning. If you've, if you've been around medical professionals outside of sport recently in the last, let's say, five years, you've probably realized that they're still pretty naive to um, how training kind of works. <laughs> and I don't think that's on purpose. I think it's due to training. But anyway, so I kind of wanted to dig in today how strength and conditioning coaches are, so to speak, jacks of all trades. Um, we ha- we kind of do a little bit of everything. We're, we're middlemen. And that tends to be a lot of times along with Um, athletic trainers tend to be relatively versatile. We tend to kind of be everywhere a lot of the time. We have a lot of different tasks. We serve a lot of different purposes and we need to have a lot of knowledge and be good at a lot of things. Also in my experience, we tend to be the people who stay the most up to date. But yeah, I wanted to talk about how we kind of do a little bit of everything, especially in a team setting or so to say when the strength and conditioning coach is a part of a support staff, as I so often say. So that would be basically when you're not private sector, but rather you work in a support staff with a team, with a coach, with a doctor, with an, with an AT, and, and boom, 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 position-specific coaches, whatever. When you work in that scenario, you tend to be a jack-of-all-trades, meaning there tends to be sort of a conveyor belt system, right? So between the, the doctor or the AT, um, they'll pass an athlete down, down basically a conveyor belt, right? And you're in the middle between the doctor, the AT, and the athlete being back on the field, most of the time, or that's how it should be, right? Because injury, rehab, preventative care, slash building them back up to performance level, and then putting them out on the field, hopefully safely. That gap is really interesting to me because in my experience, a lot of times I was communicating and working alongside the most with athletic trainers, with ATs, not so much with doctors. The athlete would kind of just go see the doctor and then come back to us and be like, hey, I'm cleared. I've done X and X rehab, maybe even, you know, for two to three weeks, even, but, you know, I'm cleared and I'm ready to start training again. And then we have to take an athlete from, I mean, whether it was just a a surgery where they've they've been out for six months and we're completely bringing them back around to be able to train again and still working alongside a physical therapist, maybe they're still in PT or whether, 
like I said, they they just had to go there twice. It was a little shoulder situation, and now we want to we want to bring their fitness back up and basically do enough prehab that that never happens again, or get them to the point where they can finish out the season or whatever. Hopefully, a a healthy <laughs> perspective and a healthy goal. Although uh, realistically speaking, that's not always the case. So that gap is kind of being the the on ramp from the doctor to the field as a strength coach, to me, is super interesting. I think that's kind of a a unique role, and we see a lot of cool things, um, experience a lot of cool things first half with athletes, or firsthand, rather, sorry, with athletes in that space. Now, thankfully, I've never personally been in this situation between the doctor and the coach, uh, but I have been speaking, I've heard from multiple colleagues that this tends to be a situation more in professional sports, not necessarily in NCAA. I think there's still some responsibility to the players um, in the NCAA, however, with pro sports, um, especially pro team sports, the gap between doctor's orders and the coach, there tends to be a discrepancy or a lack of uh, alignment of opinion, <laughs> so to speak. Essentially, what I'm saying is the doctor or the PT or the AT doesn't think that the athlete is ready to get back on the field, the coach needs the athlete on the field, or the general manager needs the athlete on the field, or for some reason, basically, the business side of sports says, hey, the athlete needs to be on the field right now, but the medical team basically would consider the athlete not ready. The SNC coach and also the ATs, again, this is not my experience, but from what I've heard, serve in some sort of middle role between that of essentially, okay, with the time that we have left, we're going to try and mitigate as much as we can and take the input from both of these sides, put something together and essentially try and make the athlete as healthy and prepared for whatever's coming. Mitigate as many risks as we can, essentially. I find that very interesting and honestly, I'm quite thankful that I've never had to experience that. The experience of being basically a first in line AT. Now, this is strictly from my experience in the States. Um, In Germany, basically, strength and conditioning coaches are athletic trainers and athletic trainers are strength and conditioning coaches, but not really. That's a different episode. That's a completely different episode. We'll do that at some point. But essentially, in, in the States, it's interesting to be a first-in-line AT. Basically, if you've got a super early workout or uh, something happens while you're in charge on the floor or there's an issue with an athlete where they don't want to go to the AT or it's just a super minor injury, there's a, there's a great number of situations where the strength and conditioning coach winds up filling a little bit of the role of the AT or um, doing an initial assessment and deciding whether or not they need to be passed on to the AT. It would be great if we were all trained in both of those, basically, realms, that we were all trained with more of a manual therapy perspective and a more physiological perspective, but also as applied strength and conditioning coaches. At this point, as far as the education system is concerned, you really have to seek that out. Uh, People who are studying kinesiology or physiology or exercise science or whatever it may be in the States aren't actually licensed to do any sort of manual therapy. I'm sure there's some level of liability to that uh, unless they become athletic trainers. Uh, Athletic trainers, on the other hand, aren't necessarily notorious for using barbells or things of that nature. Generally, it's the AT and the strength and conditioning coach that tend to kind of pass back and forth uh, roles. 
Whereas here in Germany, there really are no strength and conditioning coaches, or I should say there's very few strength and conditioning coaches. So they tend to be classified more as ATs because they can do manual therapy uh, because nobody really knows the difference. <laughs> Another interesting role that I have taken a lot of note of personally, just because of my personal role and experience, is that strength and conditioning coaches tend to be the first in line shrinks. That is the first in line kind of psychologist, therapist, sports psychologist. We have the privilege of being able to spend a lot of unique, mon monumental, for both positive and negative perspectives, but also just a lot, a significant amount of time with athletes. Uh, that means we see a lot of highs and lows. We see them with or without media faces. We see them uh, at 4 a.m. workouts and at midday workouts. So we basically take a long ride with our athletes and just because of the nature of strength and conditioning, it tends to, you know, there's pauses between sets or the time of day or the amount of people in the weight room. Uh, we tend to be first in line therapists, basically. But it's really, really cool. You might get the, you'll, you'll get the, the high points of, of winning. You'll get the low points. You'll, you'll learn about an athlete's specific anxiety. You might learn about their private lives. You might learn about uh, the interaction and communication within the team. You might hear about, again, injuries and that you might be the psychologist and the AT first in line <laughs> and then really have to be making references. Um, it's interesting. It's unique. To me, that's one of the more interesting parts because um, you tend to get them fairly fresh after wins and losses. Uh, beginning and end of season, middle of season, it's like a ride. Uh, and you get to experience all of that with them and the relationships that you get to build just by using the weight room. There's some level of respect and there's some level of trust mutually that gets built over a period of time. And so it's really cool to feel like an athlete trusts you enough to share, be open, ask for help. That's just a really unique, cool, and privileged situation. Um, and then naturally we have, we're, we're supervisors, right? So a lot of times we're just supervising the weight room. We're writing programs, we're authors, we're supervising weight rooms, we're supervising workouts, we're supervising interns, all of those things. Sometimes we're just writing programs, signing off on intern hours, boom, 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 making sure everything gets cleaned, get the team out to uh, field practice and done. Sometimes that feels like that's all we do. And then sometimes, and this is more to the private sector, which is where I am now, so I can kind of relate uh, strongly to this one, is consulting. And that is traveling or meetings, or uh, sometimes I feel like an HR director and a secretary and a CEO combined. Um, because again, you have to be that jack of all trades when really I need all of those soft skills, but the main point of my job is essentially to get somebody performing at their best through strength and conditioning and not deciphering time zones. <laughs> However, that seems to be what I spend a lot of my time doing or figuring out how to create Excel documents that fit my liking because I'm a perfectionist. <laughs> and I know for a lot of other people, it's a, it's a matter of travel and driving and trains and planes and automobiles and, and coffee and things like that. But that's just another cool rule that we get to fill. There's so many, I, I can't cover them all. Um, and I couldn't even think them all up if I tried, but there's... <laughs> It's just such a unique experience. It's such a unique job, and I think it fits perfectly as far as what I do. I feel like I will always be in strength and conditioning because it fits perfectly somehow to everything else that I want to do. It's just such a central part of performance. It's such a central part and a necessary part of a team that I don't think I could ever leave it because it is just so important and so valuable. 
So that kind of leads into what else I wanted to talk about going off of this. I didn't want to just leave you with, oh, Julia thinks it's cool that, you know, strength and conditioning coaches can do a little bit of everything. <clears throat> I wanted to kind of tell you, but also discuss with you some thoughts about the implications for basically continuing education. So in the States, especially if you're certified through the NSCA in the States, uh, they make us do what feels like an absolute billion continuing education hours. Um, every two to three years. So we have to submit a certain amount. That is conferences, that is presentations, that is online courses, that's more degrees or seminars or more certificates, things like that. You basically always need to be learning, which to me is kind of the biggest joke of, of all of it because as I believe I mentioned earlier, I feel like strength coaches are the ones that tend to be the most up-to-date. Like coaches, yeah, great. They might tend to be, and this is again my experience, they might tend to be super up-to-date on tactics or on watching everybody else's game tape so they know what else is going on in the league, things like that. But I am yet to meet a successful forward moving and forward thinking strength and conditioning coach who isn't still always learning, always reading, always sharing, always collaborating. Think about the ones we know. We know about uh, Brett Contreras of the Glute Lab in, in California. We know about Brett Bartholomew um, from Conscious Coaching. We know about um, Vernon Griffith, we know about Steve Magnus, we know about John, Jonathan Marcus, all of these different great amazing coaches that we all respect look up to. So many I can't even name them. Uh, Joe Ken is another one that comes to mind. They're all always at conferences, they're always collaborating with each other, they're always writing, uh, learning, tweeting articles, things like this. Um, so I'm really yet to meet a coach who I basically madly respect and a coach that's also actually successful that isn't always learning. Whereas a lot of other members of coaching staff don't actually have to do that. Like doctors only have to do a certain amount. ATs also only have to do a certain amount. Physical therapists have to do a certain amount, but strength and conditioning coaches also have kind of a hunger for learning. And our job, again, is so versatile that we kind of need it. So the implications of that jack of all trades mentality on CEUs, strength and conditioning is specific in itself, but again, we do so many things, so should we also be specific? And this is a question I'm posing to you. Uh, one thing specifically for me is I didn't learn a whole lot about sports nutrition um, or really the physiological and biomechanical aspects until I basically cracked books outside of class. Um, after school, once I graduated and was licensed and all of those great things, the certificates that I chose to pursue after that were on nutrition and on mobility and on sports specific training and coaching and physical therapy things and rehabilitation and preventative care things. Um, that's what I chose to spend my time on, but those things aren't taught in school. Um, also, obviously sports psychology, that's what my master's degree um, study is. So, you know, we don't get everything. So my thought kind of is because we're so versatile, I would propose that yes, we should have this wide view we can't read everything, it's impossible to consume everything, but we should have a broad view of, con of our topics basically for continuing education and try to know our coaching philosophies, which should be constantly developing, but should also be kind of the foundation of who we are as a coach and how we practice. Those should be our foundations and we should have a deep knowledge of what we specifically do. And yeah, it's important to be up to date on newest research, but you know what? Not a whole lot of things have changed, realistically speaking. And when it does, it's really small things. Uh, like we find out that changing something in week two to week three 
uh, can change, boom, 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 about a sprint is something that I was reading the other day and just thinking like, yes, of course, but the main philosophy behind it is still exactly the same. So you just basically flipped a workout to make somebody 0.001 seconds faster or to get this much different, different force. I think when we bog ourselves down with that, we tend to get overwhelmed and those things tend to be irrelevant unless you have all the time in the world, which if you do, you're amazing. Please write me an email. Out of, outside of that, basically impossible and unrealistic and also not recommended really to consume all the information in the world. So just to know our specific spheres very deeply well, know our philosophy well, and then learn broadly, right? Like form an opinion about mobility, which is a huge fad that's going on right now, or learn more about sports nutrition, um, which is also really important. And though, even though that's not our job in a team necessarily, they should have a nutritionist, they should have some sort of consultant. A lot of times those questions are gonna come to you. What about sports specific training? Um, are you training sports specific? Are you using sports specific training methods for your athletes or are you pretty much only there for the GPP aspect? How does your team work? Are you also training position specific or should you be? Or how are your programs looking for off season players who play lineman versus wide receiver, let's say, uh, or quarterback, something like this. Are you able to figure out what the difference is in programming or should you? Do you need to? Should you expand your, your views in order to make yourself a better coach for that specific thing? Um, I think it's kind of a paradox. We tend to cram ourselves into a box by only knowing uh, the specific things that are relevant to what we do like very well and learning everything that we possibly can about that and being super up to date about it. There's the other extreme of that of just knowing a little bit about everything. Um, or buying into the wrong thing. As a strength and conditioning coach, if you only buy into nutrition or mobility or physical therapy, well, that's not your job. That's not the point of you being there. Um, you shouldn't. You should be fully bought into strength and conditioning, but the strength and conditioning coach is a jack of all trades, so we should know a little bit about everything. It's just been on my mind and thinking about what CEUs I need um, in the upcoming months, and also seeing a lot of my friends in strength and conditioning taking more or attending more paper sessions, seminars, conferences, and things of that nature on sport psychology, which again, that's my field. So I'm very excited that that's becoming a development. Um, I think that's a very positive thing. I think the outcomes of that will be tremendous. I think the more people to, in a support staff environment that we can get educated about sports psychology and even a ner nervous system like the Z Health. Um, I don't know if you guys know about Z Health and their performance group. Um, but the more we can learn about, you know, the nervous system and, and things like that and about the brain as coaches, I think that's also great. So I will leave you again with questions. Coaches, strength and conditioning or otherwise, I want to know, do you feel like your training, whatever your training was, whether it was self, if you're in Europe, or your program, or what you had to study for your exam, do you feel like that adequately prepared you for the exhaustively broad job of strength and conditioning coach? If not, what would you change? If yes, what do you feel like best prepared you for your field? And what do you think we should be focusing on as far as continuing education? Should we have a broad view, but know ourselves deeply? Or should we have 
a shallow view of a lot of things or a deep view of a lot of things? And what are your methods for going about that? I want to know what you think. Um, and I'll read off some of your views next week. As always, guys, thank you so much for listening. I really enjoy doing this podcast. It kind of, uh, again, is like a diary for me. So I feel like I should change the name to Diary of a Strength Coach or Diary of a Female Strength Coach. But I'm a little too attached to my line at this point. We'll see. But thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to your feedback. And we'll see you guys next week.